Hello and welcome to the Edify Podcast. This is designed for you, preacher, teacher, shepherd, deacon of the kingdom of God, for your edification, for your uplifting, for your ministry. Proverbs 17 verse 3 says, The crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. If you preach, teach, and minister in any kind of way for any length of time, you will come to understand that in a very personal way. The Lord does indeed test the heart of his servants. There's no doubt. We know that he disciplines every child because he loves us. But in particular, those who preach and teach and serve in ministry. And he often uses the crucible of ministry uh, to do it. When when things... Um, get turned up you know when the heat is turned up in ministry um, what happens is is impurities of our hearts of the situation of our brethren that begins to be clearly seen you know bubble up to the surface if you will and and it it can melt us down it can test internal security it can test you know emotional resilience all those things When, when god tests us because he does test us god's agenda in testing our hearts is not just to expose what's in our hearts because he already knows perfectly what's in our hearts. The large portion and purpose of what he's doing is to reveal and to refine. It's like when Jesus, when he asked a question, Jesus already knew the answer to that question, but what Jesus wanted the people to see or to seek or to be revealed to was for them to realize it themselves. You know, he works through the fiery tests, you know, that, 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 that burn, that, that pain us, and but what it does is it reshapes us for his glory. It's for our good and his glory. He plans to purify our faith. He plans to, you know, burnish our character. He molds us. He makes us into the preachers, teachers, shepherds, and deacons, those who serve. He, he's molding us into better, better people for his kingdom um, that can better reflect his glory through our lives and on to the world. Let's talk about number one uh, in this episode, ambition. Uh, ambition. A- ambition is something that is, is, is maybe, maybe best described as your drive, um, your motivating factor. You know, probably for those of you who are preachers, we're not going to be named, you know, the, the up-and-coming great next expositor of our time, you know, and not that we wouldn't appreciate the nomination, but 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 that's that's something that some preachers uh, drive to and for, or or elders or or deacons that we want to be the the next latest and greatest of of the brotherhood, and maybe you daydream of that, and 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 if I can't be my own legend in this time, then then I'll be a legend, and they'll put up statues, you know, about me and for me, all over the brotherhood when I'm dead, you know, and and if that that can be such a wrongful ambition. Uh, ambition is best defined as the strong desire to achieve something. But see, the, the thing is, for those of us who serve in this capacity, ambition can be godly or it can be fleshly. Strong ambition is good and it can drive us to improve, but it can also drive us crazy and up the wall and into misery and despair. Godly ambition can fuel a passion to, to proclaim Christ to the people who have yet to hear the gospel. 
just like Paul told the church in Rome, he said, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, Romans 15 and verse 20, but where godly ambition motivates us, motivates us to preach the message fleshly, worldly, carnal ambition, we would say, that messes with our motives. And we, what we do is we wind up preaching for the wrong reasons. When I was in preaching school, they asked us to, to, to ask why we wanted to be there. And <laughs> um, there were so many guys that stood up and said, somebody said that I was good, and so I'm here. And, and that's, that should not be my reason to preach the gospel. But it, but it can be yours, and it can be mine, but it doesn't need to be. Godly ambition turns fleshly when it becomes selfish ambition. You know, something the Bible repeatedly condemns in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And God knows when ambition turns selfish, when it turns ministry sour. He knows. James 3 and 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And what we face as those who serve in the kingdom, a challenge in discerning whether our ambition is God-honoring or self-promoting. And, and we need honest, accurate assessment. And, and it's complicated because we're, we're vulnerable to self-deception when it comes to matters of the heart. We, we over-sympathize ourselves. We, we tend to assume the best about ourselves, and, and we overlook the worst. Or we make excuses for the worst as though we're somehow justified. When, when we're chasing ambition, we need we need to think about one particular story. Um, Salmon P. Chase. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Probably not. But you're more familiar with the with the bank company called Chase Bank. And Mr. Chase ran very unsuccessful against Abraham Lincoln uh, and the Republican Party in 1860. But Lincoln uh, still selected Chase as his Secretary of the Treasury because he considered him the best man for the job. But, but what Chase continued to do was believe that he was the best man for Lincoln's job, not for his personal job, but for Lincoln's job. And he remained ambitious you know, to replace Lincoln, uh, even while he was son- serving in his cabinet. And he undercutted him you know, to prop up his, his, his chances of replacing him. Self-promotion. Now, Mr. Chase was, quote, a God-fearer. He was church-going, Bible-believing, morally upright. He read Scripture. He prayed daily. He faithfully attended, you know, uh, the local church. And in, in many ways, he was qualified as, quote, one of the good guys. But Mr. Chase somehow remained clueless about his own selfish ambitions because in his, in his personal journals, in his letters, he, he repeatedly cast his actions in what he was doing as noble, as he uses the term virtuous, because he was convinced that he, was, he sought the good of the nation while really he was pursuing his own selfish deeds. Now, he could never smell <laughs> uh, the odor of his own selfish ambition, but everyone else could. Chase could not... Uh, separate his own ambition from the cause he championed. Do I do that? As a preacher, teacher, shepherd, deacon, is selfish ambition in my heart? Has it infected my heart? And and really, you need you need to answer that question truthfully, or maybe you need to ask others, what do you see? 
because it's dangerous. It's dangerously easy to convince ourselves we are pursuing Christ's glory. What we're doing in reality is advancing our own selfish ends. And so what we've got to do is we've got to redeem ambition. Ambition is good, but it's got to be put in its place. It's like a you take a light of match and light a candle, that's great. But you let's say that you, you, you take a log and put it on fire and you put it in the in the fire pit. That's great. Warms the house, has a purpose. But you take that that fiery log and you put it on the carpet, well all of a sudden your house is burnt to the ground. Our passion has to be put in its place. What do we do as preachers to guard ourselves against the selfish ambition? Some people argue that the safest course of action is to totally destroy ambition altogether. But what Paul does, what Paul shows us, is really a better way to take a godly attribute that is within me, that is through my providential raising, through Scripture, or my response, pure-hearted, honest response to Scripture, and, and use it for God's glory. If you remember Galatians 1.14, Paul said, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of, of my age among my people. And he said, I was so extremely zealous, and I love the word zealous, but he said, I was so extremely zealous that I, I was for the traditions of my father. But Paul, Paul blended his personal ambition and his spiritual commitments. But when he was captured, captured by Christ, because that's what he was doing. That's what, that's what took place is he was captured and captivated by Christ. He was a man of conviction, a man of ambition. And when he was met with Jesus, the ambition shifted. A radical change in Paul's life, including his ambitions. Paul did not discard his desire to make a difference. And he didn't lose his drive of tireless work. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 9 through 10, Paul says, I worked harder than all of them. He didn't just end his ambition. He shifted it. He 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 moved it to where he should have. He he did not promote himself or try to impress other people. That wasn't his his work anymore. First Corinthians 1 and verse 12, the believers in the church at Corinth had a very nasty tendency. Even the second Corinthian letter that we have, there was at least three, but we have we have you know first Corinthians and second Corinthians. The church had a nasty tendency to rank um, and to promote their favorite preacher and to follow their preacher. And and you know that you know, some were a fan of Paul, some of Apollos. You know, Apollos was capable, and he was and he was a captivating person, very smart. Or, or Peter, he even mentioned Cephas. You know, the, he was, quote, the leader of the apostles. You know, he was one of the pillars of the church in Jerusalem. Paul could have felt easily threatened and insecure in his work. You as a deacon, you may be serving and you, you're in a, a room full of, you know, five to, to 15 deacons. I don't know, but, but, but you, could, you could feel threatened by their work or their success of work or how the church responds to this deacon and their work. And although you have ambition, you can be you can shift that ambition to to unsightly gain, which which isn't good. And so Paul shows us a very great picture of what we are to do when it comes to fleshly, carnal, worldly, human ambition, uh, self promotion when it comes to the work and ministry of God. If you have your Bible, First Corinthians chapter four. And we're going to cut through the first five verses. 
And, and what, what Paul does is he gives us four truths that we need to hold on to. When we think about ambition, what do we need to hold on to that keeps us from drifting towards selfish ambition? Number one, we are servants and stewards. That's what we are. We're not celebrities. This is not about us. The pulpit does not uphold the preacher. The pulpit upholds the Word of God. We are expositors. We are servants and we are stewards. We are not celebrities. Paul says this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Of course, the mystery is the gospel is for the Jew and Gentile that have been hid since the world began before the world began. But Paul saw himself as a servant and a steward. That's what I've got to do. That's what you've got to do. Preacher, teacher, elder, deacon, you've got to see yourself as a servant and a steward. Paul had to fight against the tendency to turn ministry into celebrity. So many people do that. There's so many self-promoters on social media, on TikTok, on all these different things where they promote themselves and not the gospel of Jesus. They say the Bible isn't really going to work. I've got to do tricks and mirrors. I've got to get on here. I've got to do this. I've got to do, I've got to win the people over to myself before I can win them to Jesus. God forbid that very fact. That is fleshly ambition. That is self selfish, selfish. God sees it. God knows it. In order to fight fleshly ambition, I have got to consciously adopt the identity of a servant and a steward, the attitude, the personality, the humility. I've got to resist the dark desire to be seen as some sort of semi-celebrity. I'm a servant. I'm a steward. That's all that I am. Number two, we must test our own hearts, but not fully trust our own hearts. Look at verse four. He says, I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. <laughs> Paul understood that self-examination was essential for, for a minister, for those who minister in the kingdom. And we should test the motives of our hearts, and we seek to live with a clear conscience. But like Paul says, this is not foolproof. I mean, this, this isn't. Our self-appraisals are not fully accurate. We may fail to detect the odor of our own selfish ambition that other people can smell. And maybe they just see it as that, and we need to address it. But we need to make the habit of listening to other people's evaluations of our actions. But, but, but number three, in the end, Christ is the one. Number three, Christ will evaluate our motives and not just our actions. He says, continuing on in verse four, It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Paul knew that there was a day coming when Christ would evaluate every hidden purpose of the heart. He knew that Christ knew his motives. Here's the thing. If you are preaching, teaching, shepherding, or serving the table as a deacon, God knows your heart. God knows your heart. That can be comforting or that can be terrifying. You, you are in control of that. You are. Now, he could never, Paul understood he could never fool Jesus. And this truth needs to sober me, needs to sober you, to intentionally invite the Lord to search 
the thoughts, the intents of my and your heart. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me. Search me. Look within. Now, that's, that's a terrible thing. That is a dangerous prayer. But you've got to, as God's minister, you've got to have that attitude. I want to be searched. I want to be tried. Maybe you're experiencing burnout. You need to ask the Lord to, to, Lord, specifically, whatever it is, draw it out, expose it. I want to kill it because I want to faithfully serve you in your kingdom in the ways that you see fit. Number four, God will commend us for faithful ministry. He says in verse five, the second half of verse five, then each one will receive his commendation from God. We should be sobered by the thought that Christ Christ will have an audit of my ministry and my ministry motives. That, that doesn't have to terrify me. He says in chapter 4, verse 2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. The Lord is not looking for Jake to be perfect. I cannot be perfect. I'm justified in Christ, and I'm working on my sanctification. Sanctification is a process. That includes my ministry as a preacher. I need to be found faithful. Can I be perfect? No. But can I be faithful? Yes. I'm married of eight years this coming December. And I'm not a perfect husband to Missy, but I'm faithful to her. Meaning at the end of the day, I come home, I make things right, and we go to bed like husband and wife. We, we, go, we go and make, make, um, make a restitution. We make things right. Such it is with God. You, you are not perfect. And as a minister, newsflash, you will not be perfect. You will not serve as a deacon perfectly, as an elder perfectly, as a teacher and preacher perfectly. You will not. But you can be faithful. And what does God require of, of me and of you? Be found faithful. As we seek to faithfully serve Christ, bring people into, into his light, into his presence, we can anticipate his commendation on the final day if our hearts are right. This side of heaven will always needs God will always need God's supervision over my ambition and yours. Our motives if we're not careful, we'll become mixed at times, and we will need to regularly allow, through the providential scriptures that we have in front of us, to work out, to redeem, to reorder, to fix our ambition as preachers, teachers, elders, and deacons. We can serve with, antici with anticipation, with joy. In this way, the Lord redeems Paul's natural ambition. He can do the same for me and for you.